All right, all right, day 260. Uh, welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, uh, this is um, a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so uh, today we're in John chapter 9, right? And John chapter 9 opens up uh, with this healing, right? And uh, remember, we've been talking about how the book of John is going to uh, show us these signs and these signs, uh, the first part of John, at least these signs are meant to testify, right? That to, to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and that we can have life in his name. Now here in John nine, Christ heals the blind man. And this is the six of the seven signs he performs in the gospel, right? But the thematically and theologically, right? Um, this chapter is actually connected to the feast of tabernacles. Remember we talked about how this is the, um, section of the feasts as well as Jesus is going to fulfill the various Jewish feasts and holidays and, um, and the discussions that preceded, right? Where he talked with the Pharisees and the Jews who had no idea who he was, even though he was the light of the world, <clears throat> even though he was the one to illumine the pathway to come to the one true God. Now it's interesting because again, they're blind to seeing that, but he actually does see it, <laughs> right? The, the, the blind man. But it's interesting the way John sets this up as well, because remember the narrative of the healing, um, the, the narrative of the healing uh, that was juxtaposed earlier, right? With the man who was lame for 38 years and how he uh, went to the authorities about Jesus. This one, much like the woman at the well, in contrast to that one, uh, we see a progression of his understanding of who Christ is, right? So the blind man, they're like, yo, who opened your eyes, fam? Uh, verse 11, he's like the man called Jesus. Verse 17, the Pharisees ask him, and he's like, he's a prophet. And toward the end, we see that the man actually falls to his knees and worships Jesus. So we see this progression, right? A true understanding of who Jesus is. We talked about before how a layer after layer is on earth, the deeper we go with Christ. And um, I think we have to remember that we were all born spiritually blind, right? Some of us uh, have looked at Jesus for a long time, but we did not see him, right? We, we looked at him for a while and we did not see him. And some of us, hear this, um, had our eyes open, right? We, we, we had Christ come and touch our eyes and now we see him for who he really is. And I remember, man, I remember the day my eyes were open. And the question I want to ask you is, do you, right? Do you remember the day do you remember? Do you remember what it was like? Do you have you? When's the last time you recalled and reflected on that moment? And I think sometimes because we lose sight of that moment, <laughs> uh, we lose sight of who Jesus is and what he's done in our actual lives. Right. I think we should take some time today to reflect on the moment that Jesus touched our eyes and we saw that he was the Messiah, the king from the line of David that came to save the entire world. John 10 comes. He says, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father. I laid down my life for the sheep. Remember, I've been talking about how we have the signs, but we also have these I am statements right right here in the same chapter. And all throughout Israel's history, God, remember, condemned the terrible and corrupt leaders that Israel had. And they were known as those that were supposed to shepherd. Right. They were supposed to shepherd lead guide and direct god's people and they often failed <laughs> as we know right and we think about uh a text you know many texts uh, condemning these shepherds right for the unjust and unloving ways they handle god's people but god promises that he will send a great shepherd at the end of time right look at the prophets for that and the startling thing about this shepherd 
who is Jesus, is that he doesn't just lead the flock or care for them. He dies for them. He lays down his very life for them. He says this in verse 10. He says, um, a thief comes to only steal, kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Once again, John is not concerned with the concept of life and the word life. Or John is concerned. Excuse me. John is concerned with the, uh, with the concept of life and the word life in John's gospel and the word eternal life are used interchangeably. So in other words, John 10, 10 is usually uh, taken out of context, right? God, Christ can't make you have life more abundantly. Yes. But what does that actually mean? Right. Um, and, and the interesting thing is, is that using it in context is actually better uh, than the way it's often used out of context. In other words, though, what Christ is saying is that um, eternal life is not something that happens after you die. <laughs> eternal life doesn't just start at death. Right. But according to John's gospel, according to the Bible, is eternal life is something that extends past death. Right. He says it is eternal. It has no beginning or end. It just is. And for those of us who come to the good shepherd, we are those who are led through the gate already right now. We are in the sphere of eternity. We have life, the life that God wants to bring and permeate the world with. We have inside of us or we can have inside of us right now. And this life he gives, listen, is a different quality of life. Right. Having eternal life now is not just about waiting to go to heaven when you die. It's about having a different quality of life that is characterized uh, by the fullness of knowing the God who has revealed himself in Christ and that comes no other way. He says it again in verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And I and the father are one. You see how Jesus talks about himself in the same way he talks about the father. We talked about that some last time. And um, Christ uses this language of security. Right. And it's so interesting that he uses this language of security, because remember, in chapter nine, the blind man, uh, the Pharisees were saying, like, yo, whoever the blind man is, if he confesses him as the Messiah, uh, he will be banned from the synagogue. And Jesus is just coming here and he's saying, no, like there's nothing nobody uh, can do on this earth, not even you. <laughs> that can lead you to be snatched out of the shepherd's hand. Chapter 11. <laughs> chapter 11. Uh, one of my favorite chapters in the, in the Bible. Uh, we have the final sign, right? So this is the seventh sign, the healing of Jesus's friend, Lazarus. So Lazarus gets sick. His sisters come and send a message to Jesus that he is sick. Now, these are all Jesus's friends, Mary, Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. And the text is clear that he loved them christ says this sickness will not the sickness will not end in death but it is for the glory of god he says so the son of god will receive glory verse five now jesus loved martha her sister and lazarus so when he heard that he was sick check this he stayed two more days in the place where he was what right and this may not make sense on the surface but what i love is what uh one of the things that tim keller says he says that man you know based on his story he's like we may not always know Right. The reason why bad things happen in our lives or where tough things happen in the world. But we know what it can't be. It can't be because God doesn't love us. Right. It can't be because God doesn't love us. Right. The text clearly says because he loved them, he stayed there two more days. And Christ stays where he is. And two more days goes by and Lazarus dies. And when he gets to Bethany, both of Lazarus sisters say the same thing. They say, Lord. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Martha says it, she adds something interesting. She says, um, 
But I know that he will rise, right, in the resurrection at the last day. Now, Jews had in mind, she's a good uh, uh, Second Temple Jew. Jews had in mind a resurrection at the last day. Some Jews uh, at the last day for the wicked and the righteous, right? One to judgment and the other to the eternal kingdom. And so she has uh, good theology. <laughs> However, Christ makes uh, one of the most startling claims in human history that has reverberated to the present age. He says this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Check this. Do you believe this? Don't miss that clap back in original language. I love what he says in verse 26. He says they will never die he, in, in, the, in the OG in the OG language. He uses a double negative. Right. And the word die is in a, spe, spe, uh, a particular uh, mood. And when uh, you have the double negative plus this particular subjunctive mood is what it what is called in the OG, uh, which is the mood of possibility. It's n it's not a stronger way to say no in that language. Right. Meaning, in other words, what, literally like what Jesus is saying is that. It is not even possible for you to die. It is absolutely not possible. It's not even an option, right? And then he leaves the question hanging. Do you believe this, right? Do you believe this? And Jesus is just calling us to believe, fam. He's calling us to believe. And that can change everything, right? Um, and one of the things I love uh, here, though, is that Christ actually does heal Lazarus, right? And he, he, he comes to show, right, through his words and his work, that the resurrecting that the resur the last days of the resurrection age has actually brought been brought forward into the present age right jesus is giving people life right now in the midst of all of their sorrow and pain and that will extend to the future listen for the christian fam our best days are always ahead of us right the the best things we experience now we'll just have more of in the age to come right uh and that is because of the work of god's Messiah, chapter 12, last chapter of this bunch. And it's actually a turning point in the book. And we go from here, from the book of signs to the book of the passion or the book of the glory. And it is where Christ is anointed. He has a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We've seen it in the other gospels where he predicts his crucifixion, all of this stuff. And up to this point, he has continually said, no, no, my hour has not come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. But here he says the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He does mention that we can have eternal life now. But that life, hear this, that he has to give to the world only comes first by dying for the world. Here, John slants his rhetoric, his language of the crucifixion in slightly different terms than the other gospels uh, to bring and provide a unique contribution. He says the lifting up of Jesus here is the glorification of Jesus, right? That God will be glorified through the work, the, the sacrificial, the sacrificial uh, 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 work of Jesus Christ, the obedience of his only begotten son. That is a, that is a sacrifice for our sins. And this will be the way Jesus uh, brings all people to himself. Listen, it is something about the actual death of the king of the universe, the death of the Messiah. That is is the way that God glorifies himself and, and God's glory will shine through uh, this bloody uh, wooden cross. When we realize that he wasn't there just for the sake of his father, but he was also there for the sake of us. Let's pray. God, we ask um, that you would give us the grace today 
to remember when you touched our eyes, to remember that we have eternal life, to remember that you are our great shepherd and that we are secure. And God, I pray that we would see Jesus at the cross, glorified, lifted up, drawing people to himself from all over the world. I pray that we would look forward to the day when we worship our Messiah in heaven and in the kingdom. In Jesus' name.